Hi, I'm Trevor. Hi, I'm Kyle, and today Trevor will be catching up on cinema. Uh, the movie that we are going to be talking about is 2013 The Counselor, uh, directed by Ridley Scott. Correct. Uh, I just want to start off by saying that, uh, according to IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, and is that Metacritic? I oh, oh we're, we're, we're hitting all of them? We're hitting all of them. Okay, fine. It's combined. I did the average. It's 43, 45%. 45%. You, you can't bring numbers into criticism. Well, don't, don't tell me about no numbers. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. like That's a pretty harsh score. My criticisms come with, with thumbs, not numbers, I think, sir. I think Alien Covenant did better than <laughs> this movie. Yeah, um, that's like the one thing I knew going into this one, actually, is that this movie is generally not very well liked no not at all um so one of the reasons why i chose this real quick is because of that one it's it was not it was not received well critically um a buddy of mine and i we watched this around the time that it came out caught it on hbo and it just blew us away like we were shocked by it um honestly we probably liked the juicy bits the most like the a little bit of action, the car scene, uh, which I don't really want to discuss too there much. There are some quite literally juicy bits in this movie. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh my goodness. No, nah, we didn't even plan that. He just did that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've seen this movie like I told you before. I've seen this probably about the fifth time I've seen this since 2013. Wow. Um, and I made myself rewatch it last night just to be so it was fresh in my mind, and I actually yeah. caught quite a few things that I didn't catch before. That's usually the sign of a good movie. Yes, very much. Uh, so just a quick rundown of the movie. I don't. We don't need to go through. We'll we'll end up going through quite a bit of it. I'm assuming, and we'll try to keep this less than 90 minutes. But it's going to be difficult with this one. <laughs> we'll see. There's a lot going on. There, this this production has layers to it. Layers. Yeah. Uh, so. The Counselor, uh, played by Michael Fassbender, and that's his name throughout the movie. We never actually found his name. I believe it's just Counselor. He, yeah, uh, there may have been like a last name dropped, but I don't remember it. I, I always thought of him as the Counselor. Just the Counselor. Um, the he, titular Counselor. He is, um, and he is dating um, Penelope Cruz in the movie, mm-hmm. and we kind of start off with them. Um, having the pillow talk. Having the pillow talk. Um yeah, the most epic of pillow talks, jeez. So, of course, but yeah. Uh, so, by the name, of course, you can tell he's a lawyer. Um, and come to find out that he's kind of a greedy lawyer. Like, he's kind of focused on money. He's got the, I'd say she's a, tro- like, he's trying to get that trophy wife. And uh, he's he basically gets caught up in something that he shouldn't have been in. Um, which, well, spoiler, is drug smuggling. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's revealed within the first few minutes of the movie that there is a drug deal happening, yes. and if you're paying attention, which I hope you are, mm. uh, you figure out that he's connected to it. This is actually like one. This is a, one of my favorite movies, just in general. But I think this is one of my favorite uh, cartel movies. Um, I've seen a few. Uh, Sicario is really good. Absolutely, um, I love Sicario. I think it's a little bit. Actually, I think it's even a little bit darker than this. Um, just because of the ending. Uh, I think Sicario is... I mean, they're both pitch black movies, but yes. Sicario has an overbearing like weight to it. Mm-hmm. Even the soundtrack, like one of the best reviews I read for that movie actually commented on the soundtrack and said, I've never watched a movie where the soundtrack growls at you. <laughs> like it sounds like a, a horrible monster like snarling at you. And it's, it's a beautiful soundtrack, but it's also like 
terrifying and like pulse pounding. I'm pretty much gonna have to watch it again. But yeah, they're they're both very dark films. Is what you should take away from that. Uh, no Country for Old Men, which we will get into. Yeah, a little uh, there's a little bit of a parallel between these two. Correct. Uh, and then the worst, I think the one of the worst cartel movies I think I've ever seen is Savages. I, I oh haven't seen gosh. it, but again, just like The Counselor, I know it by reputation. That might be one that we have to do for catching up on cinema just because just because of this. Like, if you <laughs> like Sicario, you like The Counselor, you like No Country for Old Men, you should have to watch Savages. So this is the one, like, Savages is the one that pops up on your Netflix queue and oh. and tricks you into watching it. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, like, I, oh yeah, Sicario was great. And then it says, you might also like The Counselor. Do you like, like Benicio Del Toro? You'd probably like this other cartel. No. Yeah, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> one is a good performance. The other one is a cartoon character, basically. Oh, anyway. Yeah. So, now that we give him just the, like, the, the general gist, uh, things go bad for him yes. and everybody else involved for the most part. Um, is there anything you want to jump in right now while we're uh, just like... So, you want to stick to the summary right now or you want to get into the fine details? Because already I see some branching points that. There's, there's plenty, that's what I'm saying. There's plenty of places to branch off from here. We could kind of work through the plot a little bit. Um, definitely spoilers in this. Uh, I, if you haven't seen it, don't listen to this and you should absolutely just go watch it. Um, but yeah, maybe we should. Um, do you want to go through characters a little bit? Yeah, let's let's, let's, let's back it let's on up. Into let's, characters. Let's, let's roll it back a bit. So let's go back to him and Penelope Cruz. Yes. Because, um, just disclaimer ahead of time, uh, I watched the extended cut of this movie, which you possibly say, have. You may have seen in your five viewings of this movie. I'm telling you. Um, I rented this on Amazon, and I saw there was an extended version and a normal version. Um, being as this is a Ridley Scott film, I figured, why not? Why the fuck not? Yeah. Like, all of his movies have an alternate version. Uh, typically, the alternate version's better. So I went with that, hoping it would work out. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you which one's better, because I've only seen this movie once. Anyway, um, first, like, three minutes or so of this movie is basically just Michael Fassbender and Penelope Cruz uh, cuddling together under the sheets. Uh, really intimately photographed. Um, I, when I was writing down my notes, I was actually like thinking to myself, like, logistically, I wonder what this was actually like to film. Mm-hmm. Because the camera's like rammed up right in both of their faces and covered by a sheet. Mm-hmm. But when you think of how a film production is made, it's never that intimate. <laughs> like, like there were probably a bunch of teamsters and like like camera operators like all huddled around them in like an igloo or something <laughs> with with like a prop sheet. It was probably like the size of a fucking building or something. But anyway, uh, it's actually a really neat scene. I liked it a lot. It's it's intriguing. Um, it's it kind of sets the tone for for the uh, the boundaries. Um, this movie pushes a lot of boundaries, at least in terms Very of like much. mainstream cinema. Like, there's a lot of taboos that get pushed beyond, uh, especially regarding like sex yes. and and violence to a degree but mostly like sex because the characters are very cavalier in the way they talk about things like this it comes up a couple times yeah yeah like javier bardem's character is supposed to be like this dynamic like devil may care kind of character and the way he speaks about these things i feel like that initial conversation which is supposed to be between like a chaste woman yeah. <laughs> and Michael Fassbender, because like it isn't revealed until maybe an hour into the movie that she's like a God fearing woman mm-hmm. that is supposed to be kind of saintly, I guess. Like she's supposed yeah. to be, quote unquote, good woman. 
Which makes her interaction with uh, Cameron Diaz uh, all the well, more interesting. We'll get to that, but like, um, oh yes, and uh, as you were saying, <laughs> double make here. Uh, yes, uh, Javier Bardem's character uh, tucks in half a shirt, uh, and that is fashion for him. Like, oh half, yeah, yeah, half of his shirt. I, I noticed in. that. Yeah. yeah, he's got his like Char- was, Charlie Sheen shirt with half tucked in, and then he's got this and, the Backstreet Boy it makes hair. Me so mad because he's such a suave guy. He's yeah. so suave, and you make him look like an asshole. He's got the bad Insta tan and the sunglasses, and it's funny because like with the shape of his face and his... and with that ridiculous clown outfit he's wearing yeah. throughout the whole movie, I couldn't help but see David Schwimmer, <laughs> like like David Schwimmer trying too hard in like Miami or something. Seriously, <laughs> like, I just yeah I. I, I like his character, but he has just little moments of where he kind of annoys me. But anyway, anyway. Yeah, but like bringing it back to those two characters, they they're having very intimate pillow talk, and she's very lustful and is like urging him to do things to her to pleasure her. But like I said, an hour from now, we learn that it's like, oh, that's very out of character for her. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting seeing her so vulnerable the very first time we see her well also in this very first scene like he mentioned she one of them mentions that it's like 2 p.m and yeah. he has a flight to catch and i don't know if you know this or not trevor um <laughs> there is alcohol you can see that there was wine or champagne or some kind of some kind of wine uh next to the bed wine glasses um which means one uh they were drinking and two uh the thing about flights as a drinker because trevor is not really a drinker um <laughs> what you do the night before a flight is you get shit house drunk oh. because all you have to do is walk into the airport check in and then fall asleep on an airplane gotcha that's generally what happens okay <laughs> wow they planned ahead anytime <laughs> anytime you walk through an airport i'd say 70 percent of the adults walking through there hungover no wonder everybody's like massaging their forehead and stuff <laughs> it's not the stress it's, <laughs> it's, the fucking, it's the hangover a lot of sunglasses and a lot of forehead massages at airports because it because it sucks to try to sleep on a plane and the best way to do it is just have a lack of sleep and then just crash out gotcha yeah. gotcha um actually we were introduced very first to um i think the first time i watched this it was kind of confused the first time you watch this movie as you mentioned there are layers to this and there's you really have to it takes a while for the payoff like of setting up everything yeah um there's a there's a theme in the editing of this movie uh where it's this movie is an an analyst's nightmare Mm -hmm. so for someone like me who has an analytical mindset and who watched this movie as homework essentially yes it's a bit of a nightmare because, because you don't know what to pay attention to. Really. Exactly. You you find yourself hunting for, for meaning and for symbolism and for planting for payoffs down the road. But the time between those payoffs is like three quarters of the movie. So you end up getting all wait, these wait, what? these random factoids and like musings thrown out there by characters throughout the movie that feel inconsequential and random. Mm-hmm. Like to put it to put it blunt, like it feels kind of random at times. But then the movie starts to like put itself together like in its later stages, but in the early goings, it's just like, what the fuck is happening and why do I care? See, I thought that the opening scene, because I've seen this a few times, was them in bed. Uh, no, it's actually the guy on the motorcycle. Um, the, very first, the very first shot is him just hauling ass through the desert. Really? Yeah. I didn't even record. He goes from Juarez to uh, El Paso. See, I, maybe I blacked that out of my mind. I just remember a shot, an establishing shot of Juarez, mm-hmm. and then they were in bed. Oh! Yeah, he, he zooms right through there because 
we do a, a a shot from really far away, and then we're in their bed. We're in their bedroom. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that establishes the road mm-hmm. for <laughs> Cormac McCarthy. The road <laughs> that establishes the road for later in the movie. Which, I mean, we'll get to the writing at some point, yeah. but. Yeah, planting and payoff in this movie feels like the person's the person who's stitching it together in the editing room is drunk for the first half, mm-hmm. and then it starts to find its way, and you're like, oh, they didn't just throw that in there for no reason. That was it, there, yeah, very much for real. Yeah, there's there is intent backing this. So let's jump to why so why where he's flying to. Uh, he's saying it's a business trip, but he's flying to Amsterdam because yes. he is going to basically propose to her, um, and he is going to buy the ring. Yes. Or, well, at least buy the diamond to put in the ring. Yeah. Um, so first of all, you can see from the establishing shot of his of his apartment, or if that was their that was their bed bedroom. I don't think that was a hotel or anything like that. That was just their bedroom, I believe. I I'm say, assuming. I mean, the establishing shot said Juarez, so if, like I, maybe I blacked out a few scenes, but like if I, don't I was know like, hang hotels on, that overlook Juarez. I was like, really? <laughs> that's a nice hotel. <laughs> I think I think that's his his apartment or house, um, and it's really nice. Yeah. And then he's taking a plane to Amsterdam, and he's going to a private jeweler. This isn't even a store. This yeah. is just a dude with diamonds <laughs> in a room. This guy. This is an old man with an armoire and. A lot of diamonds for some reason. <laughs> I'm assuming he just drinks tea all day, and then at four o'clock he just starts drinking wine, and that's right. just like his whole day is just those two things. And yeah, then he falls sounds, asleep. Sounds about right. I mean, well, he did have like a, a receptionist or like a door lady. I mean, that's pretty cool. He, he was in his PJs. I'm pretty yeah. sure for this. She's uh, probably like on call all day just in case. <laughs> so, uh, I I guess this. I mean, nothing's in a movie on accident. This is an in the movie on purpose well especially you know a high profile Ridley Scott movie with Cormac McCarthy attached as the writer and a cast of stars <laughs> correct what did you make of this the whole diamond scene because um, I I initially saw it as Fassbender just wants to get a really nice diamond because he's trying to lock lock her down quick uh-huh. but as we as we learn later in the movie he's actually very greedy and he's well the guy drives a Bentley and like you said has a, a gorgeous apartment and Seems to fly around the country at will. He's where every every article of clothing. He's I think his pajamas are nicer than most <laughs> of my clothes. Oh yeah, he's you can tell that he's no. very very wealthy. Yeah, he's one of those guys that has money problems, but you wouldn't know it. Exactly. Um, the jeweler scene was for, um, Bruno Guns, by the way, playing the jewelry. Uh, he is unknown to me for the most part. Uh, he's most mostly known by folks over here for uh, that Downfall movie. That mm-hmm. became memed, or it basically Hitler throwing a tantrum, and people add fake subtitles over oh. it because it's him throwing the hissiest of hissy fits. Never seen it. Uh, anyway, he's very highly regarded as a as a brilliant actor in a in Europe, but over here, yeah, you know, most people probably wouldn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he's only in it for the one scene, but he contributes quite a bit. Um, in some ways, it felt kind of like amateurish because it, it it's like a it's almost too blunt. It's like winking at you the whole time because he he goes off on a story about um, about anti-Semitic cultures and and how kicking the Jews out of your country leads to your downfall and how the nature of heroism has been tainted by um, the Greeks and Western religion and it, there, every phrase every turn of phrase he has has 
some sort of additional meaning to it where it feels like you should be busting out your cliffs notes or like again if you have an analytical mindset this is the kind of shit that drives me nuts mm-hmm. because you can tell everything he's saying has weight to it and it doesn't feel like a naturalistic conversation but the language is very beautiful and engaging i think i think from a sales standpoint i think he's <laughs> this is almost like po- like whispering poetry into your lover like well, i he's, mean that's he's, any any major purchase it helps if you can contribute a story to that purchase fastbender's character knows kind of what he's doing like he he understands like the movements he's like picking up the diamond he's asking the right questions but even when he's when the guy is describing things he's like you see these little these little mm-hmm. specks here and there's like he's like is that good he's like it's very good um, so he kind of knows what he's doing but at the same time he doesn't well, and go ahead it very much feels like a like a mentor relationship even though we don't have much context for how well these two actually know each other because he's I don't think they know each other at all oftentimes he's talking to him in almost like a fatherly tone mm-hmm. where he's not so much telling him things he's asking him to find to come to his own conclusions and then says ah oh, okay I think so it's like he's trying to educate him while he's trying to teach like while he's trying to give him the facts at the same time now this is one of the that doesn't he advise against him buying the diamond well he he says that the the classification of the diamond is a class a cautionary diamond yes there we go yes cautionary yes yeah. and there's again this is a theme that doesn't emerge until a few scenes later yes. or probably an hour later if I'm being honest but yeah. it's um I don't know. I, I felt weird about that scene, about that scene because it was very engaging, very well written. But this this is a like a critique just across the board for me. A lot of the language is a little too flowery for for my taste anyway, okay. and a lot of that has to do with the cinematography because it's a very grungy, very naturalistic looking film at it times. It is very much. But the 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 vocabulary of the characters and their command of the English language is remarkable deliberate <laughs> yeah it's it's very deliberate like you said um it it does not feel natural but if you look at it almost like as a play then it works a little better but, I see that. I see but that. with that packaging with that with that aesthetic presentation it just doesn't quite fit for me and to get so much of that thrown at you so early because this is like one of the first major dialogue scenes we get it's like oh well i wasn't expecting this <laughs> but i mean it the character explains himself away, though, and and you'll find me backpedaling a lot in all of my critiques of this movie <laughs> because it is a well-made film. I yeah. can't I can't knock it for that. Um, like for instance, his character it's uh, revealed that he's apparently has he has heritage in Spain and his family was probably uh, kicked out of Spain. Yeah. So he's a exiled Jew basically, and you know. If you know anything about Jewish culture, oral tradition is a really big part of it. Mm. And so for him to go off on some tangent about stories and and heroism in the West is not too far-fetched coming from him. Gotcha. Um, One thing, uh, I just want to, I think we have to backpedal a little bit because before Fassbender actually goes to Amsterdam, we are introduced to Cameron Diaz. This is right around the time. Oh, that scene was weird. It's... I think yeah, pretty much any time we're being introduced to a new character, it's a little bit of a weird scene. I think that was particularly weird, though. It's very weird. They are so she kind of has a fascination with uh, cheetahs. Um, Apparently, she's got well, she's got she's the, got big, the tats, she, yeah, and even the eye makeup yeah, that she has yeah. on is very uh, very good much point, yeah. cheetah. Um, but I think that that's kind of setting up a little bit of a motif, um, kind of an obvious one, I would say. Um, I noticed that 
She's a man eater. <laughs> no joke. Oh, here she comes. <laughs> um, the cheetah actually pops up in a few places, uh, several places. Yes. Um, and I, I kind of caught it halfway through. So when if I go back again here in like a year and watch it, I'll because uh, <laughs> you can't. This is a, this is kind of like an Aronofsky film. It's. It's you're gonna have to space it out if you decide to watch it more than once. Yeah, this whole time I was like grumbling to myself while watching this movie, like motherfucker made me get out my notebook. <laughs> Hadn't uh, done that since college. Shit. But you, you were talking about. Um, I, I don't want to dive too much into her character just yet because I have a couple of theories about okay. her. Um, There's a lot to explore with her. Um, I really like her. I really like her in this movie. I don't. I, I do. And I, she's very funny. She's she's a she's a comedian in my opinion. She's uh, she's a, a funny actress. I haven't seen her play too many serious roles. Maybe that's why. Um, but I think she does a pretty good job of being being bad in this. Um, but uh, Javier Bardem, uh, Reiner. Yes. Uh, now that you mentioned it, he seems really insecure, especially Extremely. Ex- especially with her. Um, he seems very insecure, and then talking about her—that's generally where his insecurities come yeah, from. Yeah, he's one of those guys who his thoughts come together on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll you'll find him like being very open and very sincere and sharing details he probably shouldn't. Yes, and then he'll do the oh, I said too much. I said too much, and then he he'll get like depressed or maybe scare himself a little bit. So it's it's like his his mouth moves faster in his brain. So there's a lot of false bravado with him. His voice is like a chocolate fountain. And, oh, it really just, is. Gosh. Yeah, you just want to live in that. Like, <laughs> Don't put it in your pocket. <laughs> That's your lucky quarter. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, we're introduced to the two of them in yeah. a very strange scene. Um, it's like just out in the plains in Mexico. They have a... They're, you can also tell that they're they're rich. Uh, yes, New Mexico. They're in Texas for the for the Tejas. Tejas. <laughs> for the majority of this. You can tell that both both people both both sets of couples are wealthy. Oh yeah, he's he's like the kind of new wealthy where he's like the foppish idiot. Yes, and then she's like the. I don't know, the pissy wealthy where it's just like nothing thrills me anymore. See, I think that she is white trash. Oh, uh, absolutely. No, they hinted that. Um, I, I, I'm going to bring up Kill Bill. And I think you might you might be able to figure out well, my theory behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you can tell they're both wealthy. Uh, he's making Manhattans, by the way. Oh, uh, fun, fun fact. <laughs> uh, I could just tell by what he was like, oh yeah, those are, Manhatt- those are Manhattans. Um, In the trunk of his Ferrari or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> they have a butler there, too. The, the boot of and his Ferrari? Basically, they're doing... Um, uh, the the cheetah's basically hunting rabbits. Yeah, it's, it's, it's chasing. They're basically they have two pet cheetahs, yeah. and uh, she's got like a a lawn chair, yeah. <laughs> something like that, and she's watching uh, watching some, her cheetah hunt a jackrabbit. It's some weird shit. I guess and when, she looks bored out of her mind. Well, I was gonna say TV must be too boring. I mean, I guess. I mean, I mean, there's again the theme about like opulence and what what that leads people to. <laughs> so well, let's you let's dive into the plot a little bit more. Yeah, so, sure. Um, as we mentioned, Fassbender, greedy Fassbender, uh, <laughs> uh, he is very, he has the pres- um, what's the presentation of somebody who's very wealthy, as mm-hmm. we said. And very well put together, too. Very well put together. Not, he's not shaken easily. It's Fassbender, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's good. A, he's a handsome dude. He's um, good the opposite, too, though. Uh, when, uh, yes, he is. <laughs> that does come into play. Um, 
Uh, they. This is where Reiner and Michael Fassbender we get to Reiner's place, which is a fucking mansion out in oh, yeah. Texas. Somewhere Looks like in a El Paso. old MTV music video at a pool party or something. I, I would like it if it was anywhere else in the country. I would not want to live in Texas. It just looks too hot around there, and I'd hate the desert. So oh yeah, his his compound place. looked dreary as fuck. Very it's, dreary. It's just like a parking lot <laughs> with wilderness around it, uh, <laughs> with desert wilderness around it. But basically, we're we're introduced. Uh, or this is where the two of them are talking, and we're not really sure as to what's going on. We just know that Reiner uh, Javier Bardem doesn't is advising the counselor that he yeah. should not be doing whatever he's whatever they're going to get into. Yes, he's counseling the counselor, and Fassbender is very confident because mm-hmm. he has several people tell him you shouldn't be doing this. Don't do this. You should not do this. Yes, um, this is the second warning he's gotten. So we got the cautionary diamond, and now Javier Bardem. Is their language in this scene is um, clever writing, by the way. Yes. Um, they do mention that um, Fassbender's a little concerned that the, uh, the compound may have microphones in it. Yes. So Javier Bardem cautions, well, advises him that it's like, oh, it's fine. I, I know how to do this. I know how to have these conversations. I think I don't use arraignable language is the phrase he uses. Yeah. And so everything, all the information that changes hands during this conversation uh, conversation has a bit of like a code speak element mm-hmm. to it, so they allude to things without explicitly mentioning them. So mm-hmm. no no mention of drugs, no mention of deals. It's just some vague thing that he's cautioning him against. Yes, um, and this is where the bolito uh, comes up in conversation. Oh yes, the uh, bolo tie, or yeah. as what he kind yeah. of el bolito, it. el bolito, um, which we can actually push off until unless you want to go ahead and describe it now. Because we can come back to it, but the thing that you take away from it, I did anyway, is that it's a caution against two different things. It's a caution against the situation he's currently in, as well as I almost got like a, a little bit of a dual warning in the form of the upcoming marriage, like engagement. <laughs> no, honestly, I, yeah, okay. I, maybe that was me think adding too might... much to it, but that's if, what I got. If you got that, that might be Reiner... I think advising him like I know why you're doing this and maybe you shouldn't be doing it well put it this way literally every conversation he has with Reiner traces back to women in some shape it does Um, oftentimes regarding his insecurity regarding women his Mm -hmm. fear of them and the things that they can do (laughs) he's like oh yes I like I like smart women but it's an expensive hobby you know (laughs) yeah Um, and I think at one point he mentioned something along the lines of like I I can't trust or I, I can't trust a woman until I know what she wants mm-hmm. or I or I'm You can't afraid. trust anyone until you know what they yeah. want. Yeah. And and that carries over into a lot of character relationships throughout the movie, but yeah, I I took the the Bolito message as both don't get married, yeah, don't put a ring on it and don't do the deal. Don't do, the deal. <laughs> do not do the deal. And let's go ahead and jump into why you shouldn't be doing the deal. Mm. Um because it's with a fucking cartel. Yeah, I probably <laughs> probably should have mentioned that up front. <laughs> now, again, so let's let's jump into uh the the author. Um the author who actually wrote the I believe this is based off of a book or that he just wrote the screenplay. You know, I don't know if it's actually based on a book, but uh Cormac McCarthy certainly wrote the screenplay. Who wrote uh, no? The, who wrote the wrote the novel uh, No Country for Old Men? Yes, um, which also deals a little bit with some cartel stuff. Very much, yeah. uh, <laughs> and what I think is the great top three greatest movie villains of all time: Anton Sugar, played by uh, 
uh, I was going to say Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I looked at a picture of him because I was looking for a gif of him in Gladiator. That's besides the point. Uh, it was Javier Bardem. Well, he stole his haircut for that new Joker pick. Oh so, my goodness. You know. <laughs> really? After, after okay. I'll have you look it up after. Okay. This is this is like breaking news as of like yesterday. Okay, so <laughs> what? So when I first watched this movie, I thought that what Fassbender was doing was representing uh, Rosie Perez, who is, yes. from what I understand, the head of the cartel, more she's or less, a player of, of some sort. She's up there pretty high. Yeah, she may not be head; she might be Secretary of State. I don't know, <laughs> but she's up there, um, and that's what I thought was discussing, but. As we kind of find out later, and I think we could probably... It's not going to hurt anything now. Um, Fassbender is throwing in money so that he can help smuggle drugs across yeah. the border. Um, which is why I was like, that's f- fucking insane. Yeah. Why would... It's clear why. <laughs> he's in a hole somehow. Like he's, yeah. he's He owes well, money. Yeah, I mean, if you're driving around a Bentley and have a nice apartment and are... You know, going to those kinds of parties, mm-hmm. your cash flow going out the door is probably quite... Oh, yeah, and he's trying to start a restaurant with Reiner, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. He, you need capital club. to do that, generally. He just spent um, at least three months' wages on a, on a diamond, probably way more. That thing had to be six... They, they're very, high five? They're very good about not actually mentioning the figure. Um, point is... Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. It's up there. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's a lawyer. I... Certain lawyers, I believe, do get paid really well, but the lavish lifestyle that he's living, it seems like he's living above his means. Well, I feel like I wrote this in my notes. Actually, um, I'll, I make it a habit to like write the equivalent of like a tweet. Mm-hmm. I don't actually tweet it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's just not good. But um, my note regarding this movie, my mini review for it, was that it's it's a uh, it's like a crime thriller. An, an oddly paced crime thriller told from the perspective of the white collar element of a drug deal gone bad. Okay, yeah, that's and actually because per- so many per- of the characters are these like erudite, like high class types. Very much. And the grungier elements of of this deal don't come into uh, come to the fore until much later in the movie, and it gets ugly real fast real fast and it gets real ugly I think it's the quickest a movie's ever just just <laughs> switch gears completely but up until then up until more than halfway through the movie these characters have a calmness to them that you can't help but feel it comes from hubris well I'm glad you actually brought that up because that was going to bring up my uh, point about both uh, Javier Bardem and Fassbender's characters yeah. is that especially the Fassbender um there isn't a shot in this movie where, except aside from meeting Rosie Perez, where he isn't drinking. Uh, <laughs> it, honestly, he's he's drunk before he leaves. He's drinking when he gets to um, Reiner, uh, uh, Javier Bardem's uh, house. And he's drinking with Brad Pitt. Drinking with Brad Pitt. He drinks with Javier Bardem again. Uh, he has pink lemonade, but I think there's some vodka in that lemonade when he's talking to him. No, the you're, club. you're right. Like he is drinking throughout the whole movie. Throughout the whole movie, the horse, when they're at the uh, horse races, and you see the guy from Rock and Rolla. Oh. I don't know his name. Toby Kebbell. Is that his name. Know how I know his name? Uh, because of <laughs> what? I was gonna say King Kong. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, what I was Kong. what I was gonna say. I mean, he was in there, and he died a horrible death. But um, awful. Up until, like, recently, I've always thought of him as, like, oh, God, he's here? This movie's gonna <laughs> suck. I mean, that's not true. This man has no. worked with Spielberg. He was in Kong Skull Island. That's a fine movie. That's Apparently, he fun. was in War Horse. And, and Planet of the Apes, he played Koba. 
Oh, he did. He did the mo- he did mocap. He, he did the mocap for Koba, and Koba was easy. one of the best apes in those. Movies. He should keep with it because Andy Zirkus has got that. He's got. He's got that. <laughs> he's got the- it on lock, man. <laughs> he's got it on lock. <laughs> you got to challenge that man. See if you can do better. But yeah, up until up until very recently, until like I took a good long look at his filmography, like he was always that guy that he'd show up and it'd be like, "Oh, oh no," because <laughs> he'd he'd like show up in like weird period movies, like. Wrath of the Titans oh, <laughs> and, and like Ben Hur and stuff like that. <laughs> I I've seen maybe five minutes of each of those movies. Oh, I, I yeah, I didn't watch them yeah. for obvious. You're reasons. not missing much, but yeah. Um, do you think the drinking is like to calm nerves or something, or at least to put him at ease? Because I mean, there are scenes where he's nervous in the early goings, like with Brad Pitt in particular. I think that. Um, specifically, Fassbender. I mean, this is casual drinking. A Heineken product placement. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I think, <laughs> Apple, Apple computers. Shit. <laughs> I think that he is genuinely stressed out all the time, and mm-hmm. that I mean, I've heard that being a lawyer can be very stressful. But he is, as they discussed, um, when shit hits the fan, he's like, "You're in a hole. That's why you wanted to do something this crazy." I think that that's why he's nervous about the whole deal, and he's nervous because he needs money for whatever reason, whether it's to keep up his lifestyle or whatever, whatever happened that he's in a in serious hole well, financially. I mean, there's and and there, this was a theme big time in No Country for Old Men. There's a there's a inevitability. There's like an inertia quality, yes. an inertial quality to the storytelling where it oh, feels God like the the conclusion is foregone, like ages before we get there mm-hmm. and with his character it kind of feels that way where it's like he's already in with these cd types it's almost like a, a schoolyard dare at this mm-hmm. point where it's like he's not gonna he's not gonna tell brad pitt he's not gonna do it he's already made he's already made the bad friends he's he's already yeah, done that. he's already living in this yeah. so like committing to actually doing the deed is probably it's probably just it, it was gonna happen no matter what and Javier Bardem even says to him, he's like, if you think you're the smartest man in the room, you're the first one that's going to get caught, basically. Exactly. And I think that Fassbender has that, like you said, hubris. He's a lawyer. He probably yeah. is like, all right, he's- I know what I'm doing is illegal, but shit hits the fan. I know how to get out of it. And they do a good job of illustrating that because the, the actual physical threat of the cartel mm-hmm. is is like just a thunderstrike. Like, see, you never see it coming. There's no like looming presence in the shadows. Maybe he was so focused on the legal the legal side of things that he didn't take into consideration what he was actually getting into. Mm-hmm. As far like he was worried about federal prosecution. He didn't realize like Could oh be. these people they don't give a fuck about federal I mean, prosecution. Everybody he's, he seeks counsel from yeah. regarding this they do advise him that these people will fuck your existence because if he was to talk to anybody in his field they'd be like what the fuck are you doing yeah. absolutely no, not he has to live in this world in order to even know of it everybody in this world <laughs> yeah. especially Brad Pitt's like I don't think you know well that's doing the thing also everyone in this world knows each other <laughs> um Let's go to Brad Pitt. You want to talk oh, about yeah. him for a second? I thought he was one of the better characters in the movie. I love him. Uh, him smiling. There's just something about his like cavalier, like yeah. Well, uh, I li- yeah. I like that. I like that he had like a a elder like older brother quality to him. Very where much. The scene we're introduced to him and he and uh, Michael Fassbender are sitting in a bar together. And he's very, just, it's very, it's clear. a very rapid fire, very good dialogue scene. Again, mm-hmm. it has that like slightly wittier than real life feel to it, which is a little off putting at times. But in his case, it's it feels a little bit more evened out. But what I liked about his body language in particular is 
is that he he has that kind of like knowing look all the time where he's basically like daring michael fassbender to blink he's like spelling it out to him very plainly this is what you're getting into this is how it could go bad Mm -hmm. this is why i wouldn't do what you're doing this is why i live the way i live because i know better than you but I'm going to entertain you. I'm going to entertain your responses. And every, every pretty much every time Fassbender gives him a response, like saying, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm good and, to go. And Brad Pitt just kind of like, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he, he, you can see him like almost holding back a smile or a laugh. Just like, like, okay. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. He's like, all, you don't buddy. know what you're talking about, but okay, buddy. Okay, um, cowboy. <laughs> so you wanted to discuss the bolo tie, and I thought I want to uh, introduce Brad Pitt before we do this. Yeah. Um, because, it's, <laughs> uh, so it's actually Javier Bardem that describes the bolo yes, tie. Early in the movie. Very early in the movie. And I think that's one, like, this, uh, that scene, and then Brad Pitt's, um, when he talks about the snuff film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is something that I really like in horror movies as well, is we get a very graphic or very, very good description of something very, very bad happening, um, but we don't actually see it. Um, Muldoon's death in Jurassic Park, which is awesome, because all you hear, you kind of see what's happening, and you hear a dude screaming. This is this is what they call in screenwriting planting and payoff. Okay, it's Jurassic Park. You don't see the attack coming from the front, but from but, but the from other the two side, raptors, you, you didn't, didn't even know were there. there. <laughs> um, I've seen that movie more than any other Absolutely. movie, probably. Um, <laughs> But I think that's one of the things I really liked about this movie was that we never see, we don't see decapitation of um, um, Penelope Cruz. Spoiler alert! Um, but from, the, but they basically that's what that's what he's telling him is like that's basically what's going to happen. This is what I was alluding to when I was first rambling about the movie is um, in terms of structure, mm-hmm. um, it feels very me- meandering for the first half because you get a lot of planting. And zero payoff for more than more than half of the movie. Mm-hmm. So you get all these random musings and and really intricately detailed stories told to us mm-hmm. about interesting things that feel kind of like like factoids you would throw out there at like a ca- cocktail party to try to enter yeah. to try to like impress somebody that you know owns a boat or something. I'm, think, I'm thinking. Um bedazzled with uh brendan fraser yes exactly that's exactly what i'm talking about they feel like random shit that you would keep tucked away in your back pocket just in case you get into a conversation with people who are way smarter than you and you and you feel like you need to contribute yeah so like we get javier bardem telling us about some device called el bolito el bolito that is just a fairly innocuous just story that he tells michael fassbender at the time it serves as a caution to his current situation uh Later on, we get Brad Pitt's shit, story. Shit has hit the fan. Yeah. But there are multiple instances of this where anecdotes are handed off to the audience through just verbalization, yeah, just, just dialogue, yeah. just dialogue exchanges. And then we get a visualization of that. So mm-hmm. the bolito oh, does, in, does, in fact, make an appearance in the movie at the very fucking end. <laughs> you're not, yeah, when you're least expecting it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, and the snuff film again enters into the picture at the very fucking end, <laughs> but w- it's mentioned in the first half hour. Yeah, it is in the first. Yeah, within the first twenty minutes, even yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Um, I want to switch. I want to kind of. We have to kind of continue with the plot. Like, well, yeah, what's we've actually gotten, we've gotten nowhere. What's actually, <laughs> what's actually happening with the plot? Because I want to. I want to talk about one of my favorite characters in the movie, which is I, he doesn't even have a name. Uh, he's 
I want to call him guy that would make Michael Shannon tremble a little bit. The redheaded guy. Oh. He is fucking creepy. Yeah, like, he's, he's got that scared. ruddy complexion. He's got that Robert Davi face. Where Just, it's like, there's nothing Looks there. like someone was putting out cigarettes on his cheeks or something when he was a kid. There, Probably yeah. were. With <laughs> his character, I could totally believe that. Yeah. So... Um, uh, I think I think he's listed as the wire man or something. That works for me. In the script. The wire man. Yeah. That's that's fine with me. Um so what's actually happening is is Michael Fassbender has co- he's friends with Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem is friends with Brad Pitt, who actually works with the cartel. Yes. As like a liaison or liaison something. of some kind, and they get hooked up. That's why he's having the meeting with Brad Pitt. Um but the puppet master of this whole thing, or the opportunist, I would say, sure. yeah. uh is Cameron Diaz, who is Ultimately, the villain of the movie, yeah. I would say. Was it Malkina, I think is her name? Malkina. 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 <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, so she is... Now, this is this is where it's kind of off. Mm. Uh, this is where I kind of had a couple problems. Like, Basically, there is a shipment coming in. That's the one that Fassbender has pitched in to, I guess, help get across. Or is buying a portion of, for yep. whatever reason. Um, the... Cartel leader is Rosie Perez, who Fassbender is going to be representing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he says later, court, court appointed. The judge appointed yeah, him to... Yeah, there, uh, there is repetition of that. Um, I don't think that's... I, I don't think that was on an axe. I don't think that was coincidence. I don't it, think... I don't think any legal team would do that. <laughs> he says... Yeah, for a high-profile person like that? No way. That's not an accident. Yeah. Uh, but yes. Um Basically, the shipment is going from El Paso to Chicago. Yeah, and, and throughout the movie, we get episodes of this truck's long yes, journey. Yes, this truck's long journey. Uh, basically, Cameron Diaz, uh, she has her people um, murder Rosie Perez's son to get a piece of the truck that they need. Like a tra- It's the tracking. It basically gets the, the truck moving again. Yeah. Little did they know that there's a tracking device in yeah. it. That's why it's there. Um, and she's hijacking it. Um, screwing everything up, but she knows it's going to get screwed up. Uh, that way, everybody involved, she's not involved, everybody involved, uh, Javier Bardem, Fassbender, and Brad Pitt, they all die. Yeah. They, she knows what's going to happen when this happens. Yeah. Um, and she's basically going to take advantage of the situation, yeah. more or less. Um, but yes, the... Why do we keep talking? Why does movie decapitations keep coming up? Like, because that's <laughs> well, the, you picked the fucking movie. <laughs> this is, that might have been why. It's like, oh, you know, it's really good. Um, this is an elaborate decapitation scene. Yes, um, has a procedural feel to it, um, which I find a little odd. So, the wire man again, he's fucking terrifying. Um, I don't know what his name is. He's been... I've seen him in something else. I just can't think of what. Yeah, same uh, here. Still, I think even in that movie, he still didn't quite have a personality. Like, he was still pretty blank. Like, still kind by, of... By design. Yeah. He's um, just a goon. How did they... So they set up this wire along the road, and it's basically they're going to... Um, like, uh, what do you say? Like, so, startle. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, to, to paint a picture for you. Um, Rosie Perez's son... Uh, I guess the nickname they call him is the Green Hornet. Yes, because he Hornet. he r- has a green riding outfit and he rides a motorcycle. Uh, and there's a long strip of road somewhere in town that is apparently basically abandoned. That uh, Cameron Diaz, I'm guessing, or his or the wireman learn his route mm-hmm. because he 
seems to live out of like an airplane hangar or something. He, he seems to travel between Juarez and El Paso. Yeah, and there's this long stretch of road that the wireman somehow learns he he travels pretty regularly. Now, let's we have to jump back real quick. Yeah. So when he's talking to Rosie Perez, he, she says, "I need you to get my son yes. out of out of out of jail." Uh, he had fifteen thousand dollars on him, and he has like a four hundred dollar fine because he was going two over two hundred miles an hour on the bike, yeah. um, which is kind of which wasn't supposed to happen uh, with the deal. It's, Again, inevitability, yeah. foregone conclusion. So what happens is uh, we get a couple of episodes, we get a few edits slipped in there of just a few minute episodes in the Green Hornet's life. Yeah, just him doing stuff really, smoking weed. He's got yeah. a dog. He's going back between horrors. Yeah, we, he tells a weird creepy joke to a white lady <laughs> that must have been in the extended cut because i didn't see ah, that well he buys dog food and he tells yeah. a really weird creepy joke to this old white lady for but, no for no real reason other than to be creepy he's the worst kind of rich kid he is the rich kid of um the head of a cartel yeah and uh the reason why the wire man wants him is because he has something of import in his helmet yes very important to moving the truck yes it's the electronic tracking device that starts the truck yes um anyway uh, so the wireman learns this kid's route. Would you like to interject? I was going to say, he does learn, he learns his route. Mm-hmm. He also, if you were going to mention, uh, he measures out exactly how high his bike is. Yes, he goes to a bike dealership and finds relatively the same model of bike and takes a tape measure in there. Yeah. And we just get this goofy little scene where nope. one of the uh, <laughs> salespeople there is like, can I help you? And he just leaves. And like, nope. I got what I need. He's just like, no. Nope. <laughs> walks out. Like, that's... I think it would have almost been better if he just shot him a look. Just like, do I look like I need your help? See, no. I think that it's... I think he does it just right because you... If you're a criminal, you don't want to be remembered very well. And if sure. you just walk in and you just measure something and walk out, that's weirder than some guy just going, measure something. Nope. Don't. Give, gives you the look of the fucking just, demon. <laughs> just that little... He doesn't even look at him. It's just like, just that little bit helps him not be remembered. Yeah, but the the one cute little detail in there that does bolster this theme that I'm pushing of inevitability is that uh, the only reason the Green Hornet is able to ride that route at that day and time is because Michael Fassbender got him out of jail at yes. at his own mother's like command. Yes, at his mother's. So that kid wouldn't have been on that road if not for Michael Fassbender being told to get him out of jail. I wonder if that's going to come back to bite him in the ass. Yeah, I wonder. (laughs) So we get this long procedural scene where the wire man takes a thin razor wire, basically, out of his his truck and uh, ties it off on a telephone pole. Yeah. And he uses that measurement that he got uh, from the bike dealership to measure, you know, about about the height of a human neck when they're riding a motorcycle. And then a green hornet comes down the road, you know, blazing at like 200 miles an hour or whatever. And then uh, the wireman triggers some lights on his truck to... And this is a funny little detail. It makes him raise up on his yes, bike. Yes, because... Because uh, he needs we, to see what's out there. Especially on bikes like that. It's uh, a Japanese bike. Yes. Um, you are being more aerodynamic, especially if you want to go super fast. Oh, yeah. So you're down low. So when you see lights, you're going to... Yeah, he pops up like a meerkat. And, thinking it's a cop or something. And yeah, his neck hits that wire and... Off. Head and helmet both come off. Wireman... Very, very savagely, just dumps his yeah. head out of the helmet like you, like you'd like, I don't know, take the top off a pumpkin or something. Just like, funk. again, I think that I think that Michael Shannon was watching this. Like, this guy is really creepy. Michael, yeah, Michael Shannon's probably just like pitched forward in his seat, being like, "I know what I have to do." 
This guy needs to get topped. <laughs> this guy needs to get told about himself. I think, honey, you, get my shoes. <laughs> I, I think that even Anton Shakur was just like, oh, that was brilliant. That was just brilliant. Marvelous. Marvelous. He might even crack a smile. Who knows? <laughs> oh my god, that would be great. Uh, uh, he, has that, he has that Billy from Predator laugh. Uh, 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 I was uh, thinking uh, more Agent Smith of the Matrix Revolutions, but you haven't seen that, have you? Mm-mm. I saw the first one by choice. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I saw the first. Senior one. Kyle and I saw <laughs> the French guy talking in the second one. I think it's like wiping your ass. With it's soap. like wiping your ass with. Soap. That's the only thing I remember from that second one. Um, okay, so this is the moment where we're going to start paying off. Yeah, um, this is basically the point where the movie starts to pick up, it starts to get ahead of steam on it. So I, I actually want to. Before we get into the heavy stuff, um, let's talk about now that you now that I've kind of thought about uh, Reiner Javier Bardem's character about him being um, intimidated, especially he's insecure and a little bit of intimidated. Yeah. The the scene, the car scene. Oh, the car scene. <laughs> and up until now, I don't think that there was a point of it, but I think that Cameron Diaz's character picks up on his insecurities. I think she, she's able to pick up... She's very smart. Um, she's the smartest person in the movie. Uh, she's a smartest character. I think she's picking up on his insecurity, and this might even be a way for her to just mess with his head even more. Well, uh, I mean, this is me projecting a lot and maybe exploring themes that aren't actually there, but um, I mentioned before about Michael Fassbender being almost like caught like he's he's trapped yeah um i i I use the phrase like schoolyard dare because think about what it means to be a dude Mm -hmm. and think about what masculinity means Mm -hmm. um so much of that is about preserving something that's very fragile that doesn't even exist Mm -hmm. and think about being javier bardem and having this woman that absolutely won't blink at anything yeah and knows that you will Mm-hmm. But you're the one that supposedly has all the resources and the power. So she, I think it's like a demonstration of like dominance, kind of. Interesting. Where it's it's almost like a dare, where she's just displaying that I have absolute command of myself and my situation. She's do you? She's literally whipping it out and measuring them. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's just like he's going whoop wow. yeah. on the table, <laughs> and he's just like, oh god, it's like a. Baby's arm holding an apple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically. <laughs> but yeah, he even uses That's the phrase like he's like paralyzed. He's, yeah. He's like in awe. I don't want to describe the scene because it's it's you just just watch the movie. Uh, yeah, I, she, I don't want to describe. she does things to his car. Yeah, she does things to his car. But that's 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 interesting. That's huh. I feel like yeah, it's just her like kind of spreading her wings and just saying like this is I, me. Are you do you are you able to measure up to this? And he very clearly is not. Yeah. That's but, a, okay. but she's still with him. And the entire time they're together, he's afraid, he's terrified of her, partially because he thinks she'll leave, but also because he knows what she's capable of. Yeah. And that is seemingly anything. That's anything. He even mentions, um, Michael Fassbender asks him about his, uh, his uh, stock tickers and stuff. And he's like, do you even know what all that means? And no, he's like, she does. Yeah, yeah. he's like, yeah, but no, she's the one that knows. Yeah, <laughs> like, she probably knows a lot more than I do. Yeah. She does. <laughs> yeah, the, the car scene comes about uh, when they're they're prepping their restaurant together. Uh, Reiner and Fassbender, uh, yeah, Javier Bardem and Michael yeah, Fassbender prepping. And them. what happens is, uh, as as Reiner tends to do, he starts 
you know, sp- spinning much, yarns yeah. and says a few things too many and then alludes to something regarding, like, I know too much about women. And Michael Fassbender says, what do you mean? And it takes some prying, but eventually Javier Bardem decides, <laughs> have a seat. <laughs> he I, says, have a seat. I'm going to pour us some drinks, and I'm going to tell you a story uh, yeah, about my car. But he almost like had to get it off his chest. He's just like, uh, dude, something else must have happened well, that day where he's just like, I'm trying to forget about Because that happened, that wasn't just very recently, because he's like, remember that car I had? That was like when they were early together. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was one of those, it's like a Freudian slip, where it's like, he says, he, you know, he's like, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. Like, I wouldn't want to talk about that. And it's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> it's like, you're... This is almost like a confession or like a therapy session yeah. at this point. The, I think that uh, that's actually a really good take on that because I thought that, like, seeing this movie a few times, like, I thought that the scene added nothing. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think that if you look at it from that point of view, that is a very good, that, that is a very good way to look at that scene. Okay. I, I really, I, I wouldn't say I agree with that. that that's pretty good. Okay. Um, cool. Let's let shit hit the fan now. <laughs> Carry us into the shit. Okay. So just a just a few. I had a few jokes just because of watching this. Um, when uh, when real drug smugglers see people smuggling in movies, are they like, "What the fuck, dude? <laughs> You're giving away all of our secrets." <laughs> Who told him that? Who told him that? Like, I don't know if they ever did what they did in traffic, but if whoever whoever was yeah, how many to, people died over this movie? Like Jesus, it's, like it's like Paco. What? You've been talking to the federalities. To the federalities? <laughs> uh, again, Javier, God, or, um, not Javier, um, um, Benicio del Toro is yeah. in traffic as well. That's a pretty good movie. Um, that's what I've heard. I haven't actually seen it. That's that's up there. That's like ninety eight, ninety nine. No, I, I know that's supposed to be a very good movie. Topher Grace doesn't even have facial hair yet. Catherine Zeta Jones. She fine. She um, So, like, like I was saying, like I think that the dialogue before like you said the payoff um they're very good about creating very haunting imagery for Mm -hmm. me um the bowl the next tie the uh anytime somebody's talking about a snuff film that's pretty fucking scary um i don't know how good eight millimeter is anymore but i remember it being a little like pretty creepy that's what i was kind of picturing when they were when they were talking about this because the only time they've kind of i mean the structure of the movie is a little weird because Mm -hmm. Because so many of these payoffs start coming mm-hmm. in rapid fire, oh, yeah. like in rapid, rapid succession, fire, seriously. only in the last act of the movie, kind of, throughout the entire movie, you have like a feeling of insecurity, like, was that really just in there in dialogue just because? And then when it starts to pay off, it all, it all kind of like, there's not enough breathing room in between all of it, I guess, where it, it does start, it kind of triggers something, though, where uh, when the bolito shows up. It gets you thinking back to those weird episodes, those weird musings, those weird anecdotes, mm. and it gets you thinking like, "Oh shit, that that showed up." Yeah, is the snuff film gonna show up? I didn't even think about the snuff film, and yeah, that, that's the thing is actually I forgot about the snuff film watching this. But you're, I'm sure you remembered it when it came up. <laughs> yes, shit is hitting the fan essentially. Um, after after the Green Hornets. Uh, been decapitated yeah the um, truck changes hands a couple times actually a couple of times yes uh, we don't i mean that's that's a cool scene i don't think it's not really that important i think it's just in there because they needed some guns yeah somebody needed to get shot somebody needed to be shot because if you look at the cover that they advertise the movie with there's a gun there's a gun because well, i mean you got to get people to see the movie i mean <laughs> which you can also see the dedicated you can actually kind of see like how each side is very much dedicated to their job uh, oh yeah they're you, like terminators yeah 
Like both both crews are like Terminators. Seriously. Like, like we got the Wire Man who uh, has Joe Chill from Batman Begins. Okay. I was so the man who was... killed the fucking Wayne family is is <laughs> I is, knew I recognize is him. subservient to the Wire Man. Is he the guy in Thirty One? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I mean, you're the one. You're the expert on the Rob Zombie oeuvre. Oeuvre. Yeah, it's, not, it's not. It's not good at all. But yeah. So awful. Joe Chill is in the truck with fucking Wire Man. And then they get ambushed by what looks like a German or Dutch guy. I think they're Russian. I think they're two Russian. They're, they're dudes. European of some sort. They sound. They don't have. They don't have Hispanic accents. No, they do not at all. Um, they pull up as fake sheriff or fake police officers behind the truck. They get in a little gunfight. Uh, one of the European fellows uh, takes charge of the truck, so the wire man's dead. Sorry, folks. Same so- with Joe Chill. So truck was hijacked and it was rejacked by <laughs> Reach. rejacked by the original cartel. So now we have um, Fastbender and Bardem, Brad Pitt, all in trouble uh, because the truck is missing. Now they have the truck back and they're still fucked um, yes. because they thought it was they thought it was them that were like we don't know if you are or not, but you're the one that got um, her son out of prison and or son out of jail. He's dead that day. We're we're pointing the blame. Yeah, nothing personal, but you know, some, yeah. somebody got to die. Somebody's got to die. <laughs> um, so the, we get the the one scene um, where Fastbender has he's got his OJ, he's got his French press, he's whipping his eggs. Yeah, feeling good about life. Yeah, he's you know? making a, a cozy breakfast. He's got a cozy. She's gone. Oh, that that's another thing. Yeah, they're it's, they're separate for for most of the movie. For actually. most of the movie, uh, they're separate. I. Don't know if she's on a trip or they just live in different places, which would be weird well, if they're engaged. Well, the dwell- oh, she the- said yes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the dwelling that we see her in uh, throughout the movie se- seems to be pretty upscale, yeah. and her clothes suggest that she's doing fine by herself. It's yeah. never we're, we're never told what she does, no. but apparently she works. Yeah, and apparently she's doing just fine. Yeah. She's doing fine. Um, there is one scene with her and, and Cameron Diaz together, so she yeah. must have been in the same town as as the whole crew, you know, at some point. They they are talking like they've never really met before, or maybe they've talked maybe one time before. They're not. They're at best a, a, an acquaintance. They're like, they're at a spa together. Yeah. So it's just kind of like you know, friend's wife. Yeah. Go, you, you girls have fun. Yeah. We're gonna go get drunk on the golf course or something, something like that. <laughs> um, but basically, she's like, don't leave me with her. Don't leave her. She's, she's, she's fucking crazy. She's half cheetah. She's trying to bang me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's not. She's very unsubtly trying to. She's bang. trying to bang me. Um, <laughs> uh, so Brad Pitt basically calls Fastbender. He's like, "Hey, dude, shit is done. Like, yeah. we are fucked. There's no." <laughs> He's like, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, he has like, that matter of fact delivery. He's like, we're well, it's bad. You need me to meet me right now at this place and yeah, like the Golden Corral or some shit. It's like it's like of the mall it's basically. Like a, it's like it's probably an expensive hotel, but it's like it looked like a mall food court. It kind of did. The lady looked like she worked at Denny's or something. It's the she, it's she the was Coronado. Called, the Coronado. The Coronado. The, the Coronado atrium. Okay. Um, uh, uh, uh. This is where <laughs> this is where we find out. Brad Pitt basically tells him like, "Listen, you got the kid out of jail. He died. They think it's you." He's like, "I don't know if you have anything to do with it or not. Honestly, it doesn't really matter at this point." Um, and Fassbender genuinely doesn't. He. Yeah. 
he doesn't know that he's been set up by a cheetah. Yeah, uh, a, a, a cheetah, a cheetah, <laughs> a cheetara, if a you cheetara. will. <laughs> yeah, Brad Pitt basically gives him the king from Tekken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, king from Tekken. King from Tekken has set them up. There you go. Um, Brad Pitt basically gives him the, uh, and I'm sorry to drop this, go but um, the heat speech. Oh yeah, uh, I know how you feel about heat, but I, uh, yeah, it's basically sorry. the you know, if, you know, don't take any job if you can't. You know, just drop everything and leave. And Brad Pitt even chuckles at him a little bit. Oh, he's laughing. Oh, yeah, he's he's tittering like a schoolgirl. I well, so he's like he's known his whole he's whole he's known like the entire time he's been doing this job, Brad Pitt, that he's like. There's going to reach a day where I'm fucked and I have to leave and I need to make sure I have my way out. He yeah. has his way out. Yeah. And he knows that Fassbender doesn't. He's like, I doubt that you do. You might say you do. You don't. And for Brad Pitt, it's kind of like his character is just like, well, I knew this day was coming. And he might have even like, maybe that's why he was so giggly when he first met him. Like, maybe he knew like just subconsciously like, this is it. Like, this is the one. This is the one that's going to get me killed. This is the one that's going to get me killed. Um... Uh, sorry to pump the brakes for a second, but another uh, tracing back to this theme that I, I seem to be keying in on, uh, masculinity. Um, when they first meet Brad Pitt and Michael Fassbender, uh, Brad Pitt mentions how he does have it in him to, or he does say that if you're going to get into this line of work, you need to be able to just drop off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And Michael Fassbender challenges him, and he's like, well, why wouldn't you then? And he's like, oh, women. Women, yeah. And that's exactly sure enough that that's his downfall it's very classic you know storytelling trope i took a mental note of that but yeah um apparently i think every one of our central characters has their downfall come in the form of a woman fassbender no physical harm unto him no but what is what is the source of his emotional trauma why is he doing this entire thing yes and at the very end of the story what is the thing that breaks him yes javier bardem where, where is where do all his woes come from? Women. Brad Pitt. Women. Yes. Yes, that is true. And who is the ultimate villain of the story? Women. <laughs> Whoa, man! <laughs> um, <laughs> this podcast just took a really dark turn. <laughs> I'm going I'm to wait till the end to give you my theory on Cameron Diaz's character. Yeah, we really owe it to her to go into it. Um, I have my feelings on her performance, but I, I, let's wait. Very important character that doesn't have that much screen time. Very, a very important character. Though. Well, any any screen time that she does have is very. It's very. It's like you said. It's very minor, but it's very important each time. Yes. Um, you could actually probably just write a paper about her character in this movie. <laughs> uh, just just a, like a one page, just a one page. <laughs> the cheetah. The cheetah. An exploration of Malkina. Uh, this is where we get. Um, We've already been terrified by the bolo tie, but now we get what we've heard in other movies about the cartel is the snuff film. At least I've heard, I saw it in Savages. Um, I don't know about Sicario. Uh, oh, Arnold movie. Um, oh, oh. Uh, Collateral Damage? No. <laughs> uh, the stupid one with all the beefcakes. Predator? Uh, no, that's that. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I mean, come on, like stupid yeah, one with all the beefcakes. With all the beefcakes. No, no, it's fairly recent. Um, oh, Expendables. No. <laughs> God damn You're it! You're mentioning the wrong actor. No, it's a movie where his his family are murdered by the cartel, and they send him a video of it, and he's with a whole team of 
Oh, 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 sabotage. Sabotage. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sabotage. Uh, oh. That's also You can't just you can't just say oh, know, the stupid one with the beefcakes. The one with the beefcakes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a small list. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a small list. <laughs> Jesus. Come on, man. Oh my god, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, it's sabotage. It's sabotage. David Ayer's sabotage. So when we when I I've I've heard this a couple times uh, before <laughs> yes. um, maybe in Sicario even I don't even I can't even remember but I know they definitely kill his family um, <laughs> for sure um, but the the snuff film I'm like okay I've heard of it before and mm. then he describes it in a little bit more in detail and you're like well that's fucking terrifying yeah um, but now this is where I, my I wrote this down and you you caught it too. Uh, she's like, what will you be drinking? He goes, a hemlock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so after Brad Pitt tells Michael Fassbender, like, you're going to die, or everyone you know is going to die, basically. Yeah. Um, our uh, our local Denny's waitress uh, working at the Coronado, she yes. comes by and she asks for their drink order. And yes, his response is straight out of the holster, just like, quick draw, hemlock. That's pretty, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate that I got the reference, but at the same time, that... that creeping feeling of like who talks like that <laughs> like kind of kind of thing crept in there where well, it's like you know that's really witty but it's just it's like a little that's like joss whedon witty it's like this is <laughs> too, too witty i it, i'm gonna use it now whenever it's, I'm it's a good a, one i'm having a bad day so you want something to drink yeah fucking hemlock um <laughs> <laughs> he'll have, no, no no this see i thought that was I thought that was good, but I love what Brad Pitt uh, says. He's like, yeah. he'll be having a double mylox on the side of Oxycontin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, again, a little too so, witty, but no, fucking great. That one's good. Yeah, that that's, one's a that's little less pretty witty. fucking awesome. That, like, <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God, that's good. I, yeah. I like that little bit of dialogue. Yeah, that, go, that goes in your little black book. Um, but now we're getting to our characters more or less like having to run or being killed um brad pitt and fassbender go their separate ways he's like dude don't go home they'll be expecting that yeah. what does fassbender do he goes home he takes off his fucking shoes and grabs a scotch by the way yeah i mean uh, he he makes an attempt to be smart by throwing his cell phone away but that's about it he talks to the one lady he's like i gotta call my my kid so fassbender's accent there there's a couple of times where i can hear him He's doing an American accent. Uh, Trying, he, yeah. he, he is Irish. Uh, he's he's good. He's he's got the American. But accent. But he's like Irish German, so it's all muddled it's and all weird. Muddled. <laughs> um, but he has uh, there uh, certain. Um, he pronounces some words kind of with a southern accent occasionally. Yeah, and it, it's kind of inconsistent, and it it kind of sticks out when you hear it. Like him just normal talking, you don't hear it, but occasionally he'll he'll kind of talk. But that was one problem I have. Is just. It was inconsistent with his uh, his accent. Well, I mean, for for like two thirds of the movie, he's largely not a character, other than when he's speaking with uh, Penelope Cruz, where they're he's whispering. Where the bashon is the, very strong. He's very strong indeed. The bashon. Yes. Yes. The, the, in fact, their conversations are almost like straight out of a soap opera or something. They're very intensely in love with each other. Um, but with in relating to other characters, he's just kind of the straight man. He lets everyone else kind of take the floor. Um, I don't want to tell. I don't want to say how everybody gets theirs. I think that that should, okay. If you if you okay. if you decide, I mean, if you want to watch the movie, that's actually a big selling point. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, that's, so. I would rather. That's kind of where the. F- I want to say the fun element of it comes a little <laughs> if, bit. If you're that kind of person, I am. This is where <laughs> this is where like when you're watching the movie, you're like your heart's not really racing, and now you're like. Now it's kind of oh going. oh no 
there are no rules. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. It unless unless there are any specific deaths you want to talk about. John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs> California, stay away from here. <laughs> What's in the box? Uh, um, except for this time, Fastbender is uh, Mills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh God. Oh, oh God. Uh, his is oh. much better than that. No, well, Fast, Fastbender. His emotional scenes in these in this movie are phenomenal. His, I like recalling it in my head. I thought it was over the top, but rewatching it, it is. I think it's stronger than um, Tom Hanks's at the end of uh, Captain oh, Phillips. Captain I Phillips, think yeah. he was nominated for that movie, if I'm not mistaken. Largely on the strength of that one scene. On that one scene, Fassbender, like, I'm like, I just remember his expression of grief is physical. His, yeah, it's like, he's got the snotty nose. He's got like his abdominals are just like his his he, diaphragm won't come down. Like, he looks like he's gonna puke. Yeah, basically. he he looks like he's about to retch and that he's having a like a seizure. Which, which is, you know, what that looks like. <laughs> I know from, I ended up in an accident when I was younger, and I ended up hitting my, I ended up having to go to the hospital, basically. Um, and they didn't tell my mother, they called my mother, and they're like, we need, they just call her at 3 o'clock in the morning, we need permission to operate on your son. Oh. Because I'm 15. And yeah. she's like, well, what's wrong? No, 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 we need to, we just need permission, basically. Oh. And all I needed was some stitches. It, yeah. it wasn't bad, but they gave her nothing else. So she woke up and she's. I remember she told me she's like, I thought I was gonna puke. Like oh, yeah. she physically felt ill. Yeah. And this is when I was rewatching it. I'm like, oh, but he's. I think he's having a bit more because he he knows the he knows what's happened. Well, it's not just that he knows what happened. It's that he knows he's responsible. Yeah, he's responsible. He knows how horrific it was, and there was nothing he could do about it. Well, more even deeper though, mm. he did do quite a bit. He did. He spent 20 minutes of the movie doing everything in his power besides physically walking over there. That that was the problem that his character had was that he thought he could do something about it. And that's what everybody was telling him. Like, there's. Yeah. From minute one, he's being told if if this goes wrong, it's a force of nature. It's a typhoon. There's nothing you're going to do. There's not a thing you can do to stop it. Even if you survive, you will want to die. Yeah. Um, but he goes. He jumps through all sorts of hoops, you know, in the form of phone calls, essentially, because that's what that's what a white collar person has at their command. So glad you brought that up. He does. He does take a plane ride. It does look like to Mexico City. He goes. It looks pretty. It's in Mexico. Yeah, I somewhere. think he. I think he. It's never explicitly stated where he is or no, what he's doing, but it seems like maybe he's considering like having a physical audience with the people. He is so. That's when he goes to talk to the guy. He's like, hey, what do I owe you? And he's just like, I made the call. But he calls in every favor he can, basically. Ruben with Bl- all these seedy-ass people. Reuben Blades. Is <laughs> the my Philosopher f- King. <laughs> he's my favorite part of the whole... His conversation. It's so... Because it, you can tell he, this character has read a lot. And he's very, very, very smart. Uh, I'm not sure what his position is, but he seems to be pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. He has a very, very nice, dark... House, with yeah, a very, table. very dimly lit house, but he a nice sh- house. He shuts up dudes with like a, either a hand. I don't even think he snaps his fingers. I think he just waves his no, hand. He just like waves, and they shut They're, up immediately. They stop their pool game. But I, I guess you're saying like, yes, he is a poetry ninja. Seriously, <laughs> it's very eloquent. But I think if you actually listen to what he's saying, I think that's that's why I really like it. I like what he's saying to him. He's trying to reason with him, and it's very chilling the way he's talking to him. 
Um, and he, well, it's he, because and, it's coming entirely from a like the lens is pulled all the way back, so he has no emotional stake in it. It's purely just logical yeah. and speaking from speaking from wisdom, speaking with knowledge that has been earned with time and trauma. <laughs> I th- what make I think this what what makes the conversation so good is at the end of he's like I have to go now. I have a few more calls. If I have time, I might take a nap. I like that. I was just like that was so chilling. That that conversation. No, it, it's a it's a very good conversation. It's just again the language is my dispute with it. Is uh, it, it's it's like I I don't care how learned you are, whatever. <laughs> like I I'm sorry, I can't be that eloquent on the spot. I think he's what I'm thinking is is he's had this conversation before. That's what I got out of it too. He's. He's he's talked to people through this. He, that, I'm guessing that's kind of where he he might be the person that Brad Pitt was talking to, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Like, I'm guessing that Rupert Blades has this conversation with several people. Before. Well, it's kind of funny that this movie's called The Counselor, and mm-hmm. it's basically about him seeking counsel from a colorful cast of characters, Very much. seemingly for every facet of his life. But um, he seems to have very little agency in his own life and his own story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I mean, it's clever screenwriting to have him have the conversation with the jeweler, you know, an old mentor figure, and then with yeah, yeah. whoever Reuben Blades was, uh, another person with some some years on him and a lot of wisdom over him. Regardless but, of the poetry or philosophy that he had before, him ending the conversation like that. That was pretty cool. That was, I, I thought that was... Especially because they keep cutting back to Michael Fassbender, who's mostly quiet, just like... He can't even shut his mouth. He's so upset. Like yeah. he's so distraught. This is before he's even found out what's happened. Yeah, him. nothing has actually happened that he knows of. He just knows in his mind oh, that you know it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and I need to do something. But there's nothing to be done. What's even crazier is that they drop that off and just hand it to him, and you don't even know what happens to him. Like they might let him go. They might still be looking for him. Well, that was. I don't even. That was. A good use of like filmic restraint because mm-hmm. we'd we'd seen the bolito, mm-hmm. we'd seen the car, we'd seen so many visualizations of these horrible things that had been talked about in the film, mm-hmm. and it trains you as the viewer to anticipate it. Yes. It's like oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, but they reel it back because I think you know at some point you have to. Yeah. Where it's like we've already seen all that we've other stuff, that stuff in detail. This, you don't need. Yeah. Like this, the impact, again, if Michael Fassbender wasn't as good of an actor, it would have felt like a robbery. But just seeing his reaction without seeing the actual visual, visualization of what happened, just seeing his reaction was there, enough. Yeah. There's nothing visual past his reaction that exactly. would capture what, exactly. what he was All you needed doing. to know was what it meant to him without seeing what happened. You could watch this movie just for that one scene because it's incredible. I don't know that Bolito. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell you who gets the Bolito. The Bolito. Okay, so we're pretty much wrapping up. Did you have any? Th- I wanted to talk about Cameron Diaz's yeah, character. Yeah, we, we owe it can to we her. Do, can we do that now? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so I'm just gonna give you my theory on what's happened with her character. Got um, what is the name of uh, Lucy Liu's character in Kill Bill, Kill Bill Volume Two? Uh, Oren Ishii. So she comes from half American, half Japanese. Or I think she's half Chinese, half Japanese. She brings up American, I yeah. think, at one point. But she's not full Japanese. So if I remember correct correctly, she both of her parents were killed. Uh, yes. Some kind of yakuza fella comes. It's like in. a 
coup of some sort. Some kind. Um, comes in, kills both of them. She's taken and, I believe, raped, sexually assaulted somehow. Um, and, in turn, her character becomes... Uh, she ends up killing older, like, pedophiles, basically. Yeah. Um, she, takes, she takes vengeance on the person who killed her family. I feel like that would make a lot of sense for Cameron Diaz's character because when she talks to Javier Bardem at the very beginning, she says that... She's like, do I remind you of someone? She's like, yes. And like, oh, oh, who? He's like, someone who's dead. Hmm. And someone she, who's been taken care of. <laughs> you can tell, like, before you know that she's the villain, yeah. quote unquote, because um, I wouldn't even, it's hard to call her a villain because everybody in this movie, aside from, um, what's her face, uh, Penelope Cruz, are doing bad shit. Yeah, no, she's the only innocent in the entire story. Yes. Um, I. Collateral damage, uh, <laughs> basically. Yeah, she's uh, the collateral damage. She's the collateral damage. Um, we don't. You can kind of get the gist that she's not a good person. She's not a bad person, but you can tell she's not very nice. Um, and then when it comes full circle, we find out that she's orchestrated this entire thing. Yeah, that's our final payoff at the end of the story. I think this is a little bit of vengeance. I think that this is. I think that. Maybe her parents or maybe someone that she was married to or a boyfriend or, or something like that got caught up in something like this and was well, killed. She, she's asked about her parents and she says they were kicked out of a helicopter over the Atlantic when okay. she was a kid. Okay, so I, the, the, the version I watched last night did not have that. Oh, and okay. I remember I, – I wanted to ask you about that because like, I remember – I didn't see it when I watched the movie. Something like that. Something about her parents dying. So, okay, yeah. I'm not crazy. That No, that was a – that was not verbatim, but that was the line. She, okay. said, she said her parents were kicked out of a helicopter when she was a kid. I saw that in the extended version of one of the times okay. I watched this. Okay, so that um, makes sense. I mean, you asked if this this uh, screenplay was originally a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that, but I do remember hearing that a novelization was made of, of like the complete screenplay. Oh, okay. Uh, so chunks of the screenplay, I know, were removed for the film because okay. that's typical. Um, I don't know any details that were removed, but um, I know for a fact the movie I saw, she said that. Gotcha. Um, so, no, no details as to why, though. Do you think that, like her scene with um, um, Penelope Cruz? Yeah. Uh, do you think that her parents were actually the innocents, and in when they were like, my parents were flung out of a helicopter or whatever? Like, do you think that her parents were actually the innocents, and this is her orchestrating this whole thing? to get back at the type of people that did that. I don't know. Or, um, again, she's pretty trashy, she um, I would say. She's got the... She I'm is. not saying that tattoos and gold teeth are trashy, but they the, the lifestyle that she's living, you can tell that she has a, a, a personality um, and she has a certain way of like dressing and a certain way of acting that's coming off as kind of... You know what I mean? Kind of rough around the edges. Yeah. No, I, I think there's mention of her being like a prostitute or a streetwalker at some point in her life. Mm-hmm. Who knows when? Yeah. But I don't know. Her character felt very hazy to me. And that's part of my problem. I think that was on purpose. I get it. But <laughs> my, my problem actually is mostly not with how the character was written, but how the character was performed. Okay. I don't actually like her performance because it feels like it belongs in a different movie. Because she is... She's playing like... Maleficent in in Sleeping Beauty, like she's yeah. she's like 
I'm the villain yeah. <laughs> with my arms swept out. She's doing John Travolta in Battlefield Earth. While you were learning how to spell your name, oh <laughs> I was being trained to conquer galaxies. <laughs> your friendly bartender. I honestly <laughs> thought that that movie would be more fun drinking, <laughs> but there's no amount of alcohol that makes that movie uh. fun. But yeah, she her performance is a little not campy, but just she she puts like venom on every line she has. Where the she's not a veiled threat. Mm-hmm. She's she's very clearly like a predator in the room. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you function in your daily life? You're menacing this poor God fearing woman sitting on <laughs> sitting on the bed next to you. <laughs> See, I I. I was thinking of that thinking of that scene, and I think that she has kind of an upper hand because she's, like I said, rough around the edges. She's definitely been in a different different world than these people, and she even says, "What a world!" And she's like, "Oh, the one that you live in." Well, um, there's repetition of that with Ruben Blades, also. She can kind of, you can kind of make those like. Um, like passive aggressive like jabs well like it's, those. it's yeah it's like being the one streetwise person in the room where it's like oh, you know who you can take whereas everyone yeah. else is just being like being like it's like when you everybody's just being polite and quiet like i'm not gonna say anything like yeah yeah or where it's like we're above that where she is not but she can exist in your world she can be rude. Like she's kind of rude to her. Well, it's, it's just a lack of boundaries. Where it's like she's comfortable in her own skin. Yeah. Whereas the rest of these people, like Michael Fassbender, don't think it's a coincidence that he's in like the most perfectly fitted yeah. suits imaginable throughout the entire movie. It's like it's almost like shackles in a way. Yeah. It's like everybody plays their role. Whereas she's just kind of like dipping and dodging into whatever realm she wants to. But yeah, I just thought that she was a little too over the top. Like she's kind of winking at the audience a little bit, you, especially that uh, the the finale of the movie, just mm-hmm. just her dialogue with her bankers, just it feels like it feels like the end of a superhero movie or yeah. something. Where it, it feel I feel like there's going to be a stinger in the credits or something. Well, I, I will I will say that that might even just be the, a little bit of like the victory in it. Like she made it to the other side. Like she she successfully did what she wanted to do and. By acting that way, she was successful. So I could see how she might be playing it up a little bit more, like Cruella Deville, like, "Oh, I I did it. Now I'm famished or whatever." Um, she's earned that. Like, if if that's how she kind of saw herself as a villain, if she was trying to present herself as a villain, she <laughs> succeeded. Yeah. And now she can kind of be over the top. I I guess it just it kind of felt like I don't really know what is motivating this character. Mm-hmm. But- like because she's clearly been with Javier Bardem for some time, yeah. surely other opportunities would have, would have presented themselves. Like, no, she found she, the weak one. She's not seeking comfort. She's seeking apparently diamonds. I, so she was, the reason why she uh, she already has comfort. She's had that for however long. She's retiring. That's yeah. This whole thing is just so like... this isn't about money at all. No, this is about... This is exactly about money. This is retiring. Like, this is the final... This is the one big score in Heat. Alright, this is... <laughs> this, this is the like... big one. This is the one... This is that... This is that one that they're like, this is the big score and then everybody... We're done now. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. That's what this was. And she said that the easiest way to move $20 million is in diamonds. You yeah. can have $20 million sitting in the palm of your hand. That's why she was saying 
diamonds. That's why she was such a, an expert about diamonds. Well, when she was the, talking to her. the gal in London isn't that the lady from like Game of Thrones? Yeah, she's in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I recognize her face. I don't know her name, but um, there was a bit of an exchange between the two of them that felt like maybe it was supposed to be some sort of like passing of the torch, or at least an attempt at it. But see, I didn't. But the other girl wasn't her. No, it's like this is this is like you touching my world. Yeah. But then walking away from it. Yeah. So this girl probably like you could theorize i guess that cameron diaz maybe started out kind of similar to this person like willing to do the things that other people aren't but then but then cameron diaz kept going and this girl shied away from it i think that cameron diaz uh suffered she went through a traumatic experience as a young as a young lady uh, and it shaped her into a sociopath. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, she's a sociopath for sure. But is she is she like uh, Jeff Bridges in Fear or whatever, or or Fearless? I was gonna say Fear. No, 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 not <laughs> Jeff Bridges With versus Marky Mark. Mark. I would watch that. Let me in the fucking house. <laughs> uh, hey man, can you like let me in the house, the man? <laughs> hey man, he threw the dog's head through the doggy door, man. Like, let's talk about this, man. It's not a big deal. <laughs> that's a, I don't know. But yeah, fearless. It's about a man that's in a plane crash mm-hmm. who no longer experiences fear. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. So it's about a severe trauma that results in a broken person, basically. Yeah, I think that this was just her, like getting back at the people that were probably respons- the type of people that were responsible for her parents' death. And she's taken them for everything they have. Okay, that's that's a, as good a theory as any because yeah. I didn't, I, you know, mm. I couldn't find any evidence to suggest anything, you know, to the contrary. So I can't fight you on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like I said at the very very top, I mean, that's pretty much it. Was there anything else that you had? I think we're about wrapped up. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, combined rating of forty five percent. What what would you say? Like, what would you say overall? Would you give it a higher score? Did you like it? I'm a I'm a nice guy. I mean, th- th- that's why we're able to do this is because I can find value in pretty much anything. Um, I wouldn't rate it like if we're going percentages. Shit, like I don't know. Six point eight out of ten. Seven. Yeah, like sixty five percent out of a hundred. Okay. I mean, but this isn't like a grade scale. This is just like mm-hmm. like. Imagine your super combo meter is filling. So yeah. it's, like, it's like, shit, didn't get it full. <laughs> didn't get it quite it's like full. Enough for an EX move, but not enough for the full, <laughs> not, for, not enough for the full Shinku Hadouken. Oh, uh, so yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it a bad movie. It has value to it, but I wouldn't call it very good either. Um, the pedigree behind it would have suggested it being better. Um, for, on the technical side, I can't knock it for anything. Yeah, it's a it's a well edited pretty decently structured well-written film it just has a weird feel to it. Mm-hmm. it it's very odd for me to watch a movie that's so bottom heavy i guess yeah yeah um watch the gate <laughs> i have and yeah i mean i i feel like that movie's basically its last half hour that thing's a fucking sledgehammer <laughs> but that one has the advantage of special effects and you know the period setting like the yeah. 80s man oh my gosh that is like an oh, yeah, 80s the, time just the clothes and that's stuff. the time capsule yeah it's great but this one is just kind of like <laughs> I, th- I think like it would be kind of neat to see like a cut that's just the truck scenes because mm. uh, we didn't mention John, John Leguizamo was in this movie yeah. and there's a funny gag in there about an oil drum that, oh jeez that that's it's, gross it's not funny but it did make me smile I, think like, I thought it was a neat little detail <laughs> that's the moment where I was like how is this not a Coen Brothers movie and then well I, uh, 
Honestly, probably almost it was. Nearly was. It could have nearly been a Coen Brothers movie, but I, I don't know if they could have brought because there's like a dark humor to their movies. I don't really. Well, know I mean, if the they even got Javier there. Bardem, so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this one came across their desk and they just moved on to the next one instead. Thank God. They said, "Hey, Ridley Scott." Here's some trash for you. He's like, I'll direct that. Yeah. And they're like, loser. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and they would have taken away Anton Shaker. That's That would have been a crime because that was an awesome villain. All right. Um, I think that about wraps it up. So next time we will be talking about uh, what well, I'm catching up on. Deep Rising Nin- from 1998. 1998. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about it. Okay, until next time when we catch up on cinema.